welcome to another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. Now, at the time of this recording, it's exam season, so everyone who's listening to this podcast want to wish you the best of luck on exams. I'm your host, Tejan Graham, but before we get into it, um, I got to give a special shout out to my guy, Josh Nicholson, who was named OUA Athlete of the Week from the men's volleyball team. Congratulations, man. For more information, go on to OUA's Instagram page. And for all the scores from this past weekend, for all the Lakers sports teams, go to our Instagram account, at Lakers. Today, we got a great special guest. Man, I've been trying to track this person down for a while, but we finally got to make it work. She came back this year. I met her in my first year. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. It's now coach of the women's basketball team. You got Rachel Van Wozik. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Tejan. How long have you been trying to set this up? Since what? Mm, June? Probably since June. <laughs> yeah. So, That's my bad. <laughs> so we, we, we finally got you down. I'm so excited for you to be here. But let's get right into it. So just talk about this whole transition of, first of all, when you got the job, I didn't even know you were in the running for the job. It's crazy. I was super happy when you got it. So just talk to me about how did that whole process even come about? Yeah, well, we tried to keep it hush-hush a little bit um, for a while, but really, I mean, I obviously was here before as a student athlete, a student, an assistant coach, and then I went away for a couple of years. Um, I was coaching at Carleton for two seasons and working in Ottawa back at home, and then I knew I always wanted to pursue coaching. Uh, When I found out that Coach Katie was stepping away from the team, I thought it could be an opportunity for me, and really, I just applied, and the rest is history. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. You know, you you started off as an athlete here at Nipissing, and then obviously some stuff happened that we'll get to later on, but did you always know from playing basketball growing up that you wanted to be a coach, or that just situations happened that it just felt for you to become a coach? Um, I always knew, like I think if you asked me in grade 9 or 10, I would tell you that I wanted to be a coach full-time someday, but I didn't know that it would, A, work out that way, um, or B, work out this early. So now that you have a head coach, what's been your experience of being a head coach so far? This is your first year, <laughs> you know, the first half of the season at this point is done. You guys had a big win for Shoot for the Cure, so you guys had a split. So what's been your experience like being a coach so far in this first half of the season? Um, it's been good so far, but like the advice I always got told or what I was always told about coaching when I was younger or even in university was that I would be surprised how much of it has nothing to do with basketball at all. Mm. And I think that that's really, really true. Like I think only about... of my job probably has to do with X's and O's and the rest of it is all off court stuff. So it's very, very time consuming, but um, very rewarding. So I'm loving it so far. There's been every, every person has kind of mentors in terms of um, who, who kind of helps them turn jobs. Who has been your biggest mentor so far in this journey of becoming a head coach? Since I started, probably Thomas Corey. Yeah, <laughs> shout out coach. Yeah, hey coach. shout out Thomas. He's been very easy to lean on, showing me the ropes, stuff like that. Um, we're always in each other's offices, just talking basketball and different things. But I'm fortunate to also be surrounded by a great coaching staff. So um, like two in particular, Lindsay McLean and Rick Vanderly have been really, really great sounding boards for me. Um, and they're a bit more experienced than me just in terms of their overall coaching experience, which has been great. So been able to lean on them a lot too. I want to talk about something that you said for a second. Um, you said in terms of what you um, you expected something to be is completely different from what it ended up being in terms of your outlook. What's what was the biggest thing that you thought would be in terms of when it came to coaching that you realize now that you're in it that's super super different? Because a lot of times when people are going to a situation like you said, it's like university for example. You go in university, you thinking, oh, this is gonna be my experience, and then it's something completely different. And yeah. I feel like it was the same thing that you alluded to with coaching. So talk to me about what's been the biggest difference from your perspective of going into coaching and what you're getting out of it currently. Right. Um, hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think the basketball piece. I think I underestimated 
what people always said as in that all the, I always thought it would all be about basketball um, and just like if I were to break down my day honestly I probably spend about an hour planning practice in the mornings okay and then two hours on court and aside from that pretty much none of my job has to do with basketball like it's fundraising recruitment uh, community engagement working with admin on different things um, and sort of everything but that but I mean that's what makes it great too and I think that's why being a people person is so important in the job um, so I've been fortunate it was surprising but it sort of worked out to play to my strengths a lot for sure yeah I think the biggest advantage of your situation just like I said when I met you my first year is that a lot of the girls or some of the girls currently knew you when you were assistant coach yes. so it wasn't like you're walking to a new situation where you had to work from scratch what, talk about the advantages of that and being able to kind of recuperate the relationship you had before you left and then some of the new girls that are here now. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely gave me a huge advantage coming in um, in a lot of different ways because I think I know a lot of other young coaches that just started in the OUA and building relationships with the current athletes. It's not that it's necessarily difficult, just time consuming. Um, so for myself to be able to come back and already have, you know, established relationships with Nicole Budd, Megan McCarter, Natalie Martinez, Celeste Puy, like that's been really, really helpful and sort of helped me to gain the trust of the younger athletes that I didn't know already, who yeah. I like to think I now have strong, positive relationships with. So yeah. it made the transition nice and easy for me. Yeah. So talk, let's continue talking about that transition. So what was it like when you first stepped in and said, people say, hey, I'm the new coach, like, what was that time period like in kind of meshing the girls together to really to buy into your system? Because I know a lot of times, especially with coaching in general, like it takes time for players to really you know, gravitate to a new system or kind of figure things out. So what was that transition period like for you? Um, I mean, it was interesting because the first time I got to talk to the girls was on Zoom. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it was all virtual, nothing face-to-face, and they didn't know that I was their coach at the time. That's what the first interaction was, like, Vito basically brought me on camera and was like, this is your new coach, um, which was great. And then we had uh, a couple practices in the summer early on just to kind of get to know each other. And from the start, though, um, I think coaching is a lot about like the daily interactions that you have with people. And I try to be very, very transparent and honest with mine. Um, and I like to paint the full picture for athletes so that they kind of understand that. So right from the start, we always talk about like – Obviously, the team is a focus, but we're trying to build a program here. Um, so getting them to buy into that and buy into my philosophy um, was honestly not all that challenging. Um, we're just trying to work collaboratively to do that and see the bigger picture. But yeah, trying to get them to play into the system. I mean, obviously, there are habits um, that they had formed previously through high school and through the first couple of years of university that it's not necessarily the wrong way, just not the way that we're doing things now. Yeah. Um, so trying to break some of those habits, especially defensively, yeah. and get everybody on board with the way that we do things now was, it's taken time, but we're slowly figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the last couple of weeks, you guys racked up a couple wins. Um, but I want to talk about your first win, though. So you guys, the, your first win last week, I believe, against the U of T. What yes. was, just talk about that whole game. We'll, we'll talk about the locker room after, but like, just what was your preparation <laughs> going into the game to get your first win? I know at the time you guys didn't have a win, so it's very easy to kind of get down. But I saw the way you girls were playing. You girls were playing with a lot of spirit, a lot of fight. So just talk to me about what was the preparation for going into that U of T game? Yeah. So um, that's a good question. I would say we actually sort of changed things up a little bit um, during the week of practice leading up into that game. Okay. So over the first few weeks of our season, again, we were sort of getting used to our system, getting used to roles, stuff like that. And then we realized that 
and I'll be honest with you, we're not going to be a really, really strong offensive team. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always think like, how do we exploit teams? How do we attack teams? And for us, that's defense. Yeah. Even though you think attack offense, like yeah. we attack teams with our defense. Um, so the whole week leading into that, we just like amped up the pressure in practice. And we've decided that we're going to be a team that like doubles on the inbound in the full court that makes everything miserable for the other team. So all we can practice, that's what we focused on. Um, and I think we really went into that game with a confidence knowing that like we could compete with this team. Yeah. Now we believe with any team. Um, but yeah, it was a very high pressure situation going into that. And then we got to talk about the locker room suburbs. You know, every, every, you know, every coach first win, you know, <laughs> I think, the, I think for people who play sports, no, but tell me what was the locker room like after your first win as a coach? Um, <laughs> I mean, you saw me come out into the gym after I look like a drowned rat. <laughs> no, it was really good. Um, we always talk our team, like any of the girls, if you ask them, they'll tell you. I say during every game, I don't care about the score. And I really don't. Like, we're not outcome focused. We're really focused on trying to do the right things that are in line with our system like at least 80% of the time. Um, but in that one, I was just happy for the, it was very validating for the girls for their work to finally pay off. They've been working really, really hard. So, um, we did have a little bit of a celebration that involves, uh, people dumping their water bottles on me Ah. and a lot of screaming. So I have videos if you want to see them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's funny. Um, I mean, just this past weekend, you had a big win against shoot for the cure before I get into the game. I kind of wanted to ask you for those at home. You've been someone that's been really involved with shoot for the cure in general. Just talk to me about how did you get involved with the whole shoot for the cure campaign? I know it's, one of the, I think it's the only U sports team they have that every team does in the country. Yes. Trying to get something else to U sports. Yes. But we'll talk about it later on. But, <laughs> but um, what um, how did you get involved with the shoot for the cure and all the and all the stuff that comes with it? Yeah, so that actually started when I was injured here as a student athlete. Um, in my well, my first season here, uh, Mark Jones was the head coach at the time, and when I tore my ACL, she was sort of looking for ways to keep me involved really heavily. Um, so shoot for the cure was something that she sort of handed off to me. And I took it and ran with it. Uh, I didn't have a lot else on my plate because I couldn't play basketball. So I was able to really dive into it. Um, And over the years, we had a lot of success here. The community has been really, really good to be behind us every year for that um, event. So I've been connected with Jeff Speedy from UNB, who sort of facilitates it on a national stage. Um, We've become close. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a really good experience. And then, of course, many of the lives of our student athletes, I mean, including my own, my mother had a hard battle with breast cancer when I was in my master's. um, So that made the event very meaningful. And then um, lots of other mothers, aunts, sisters, grandmothers. um, And then most recently, actually, uh, mother of our women's basketball alumni, Gail Sofer, passed away last year from cancer. Um, So it just made it all more meaningful for us this year and and going into the future, I think. Wow. I didn't didn't even know that. That's that's, uh... a... But I like stuff like that because I've always said like it's it's better when stuff have meaning behind it or you have a purpose behind what you're doing. Absolutely. So like obviously my shoot for change game, there's obviously obvious meaning behind it, but I'm glad that there's also meaning for you. Um so let's talk about that game. So you guys how do you how do you let, let's for okay, for people at home, let me tell you what happened. So we got an the, the girls team got an and one with point one <laughs> seconds left on the clock. So it's not a buzzer beater, but it's basically a buzzer beater. What happened? <laughs> Um, I just come in the gym and I just see and one point one on the clock game over. What happened? Yeah, you know what? That was a great lesson about following your shot. So shout out to Sawyer Fisher. Um, Sawyer. So I don't know. It was in the dying seconds of the game. We were tied. So I didn't really want to call a timeout. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to sort of 
see what happened and trusted uh, our point guard, Nicole Budd, to sort of run an offense. So we ended up going into one of our sets. Sawyer got an open three. I think she may have airballed it. I'm not yeah. sure if she did or not. I think she, yeah, she missed it, yeah. I can replay it in my head now. Kylie Wilson grabbed the rebound, passed again to Sawyer. Sawyer missed a layup, grabbed her own rebound, put it back for an N1. <laughs> <laughs> Won the game. You, yeah. can't, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't make that up. No, you can't make that up. And I just watched the whole thing in awe because I always think, like, a, a, by the time the game starts, I feel like I'm just watching my team play for 40 minutes. I don't have much control and yeah. in that moment. Sawyer just... Decided she was winning, I guess. Hey, shout out. <laughs> hey, shout out. You guys got the guys got the win. Yeah. So let's switch gears a bit. So born and raised in Almont, Ontario, not too far from Ottawa, as we just talked about before the podcast. Um, how did you get into basketball? <laughs> um, you know what? It's kind of funny because my whole family is a hockey family. So all my cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody is really, really involved in hockey or figure skating. Um, but James Naismith is from Almont like the creator of basketball. So I think there was always something with me wanting to try it. I just started playing when I was seven in a house league and over the years, like became more and more competitive and invested in it. And then sort of got to where I am now in some long winding road. <laughs> so how did, um, so how did Nipissing come about? Cause I know Nipissing is pretty about four hours away from, from Ottawa, just like same from Toronto. So how did the whole opportunity to play at Nipissing come about? Yeah, so I actually spent my first year at Laurentian University. Oh, wow, um, I didn't know that. I don't even know if you knew that. I did not know that yeah. at all. <laughs> so I went there. Um, I was recruited there. I wasn't heavily recruited. I'm not very tall. Yeah. Like, um, spent the year there. I redshirted. And then in my second year, I ended up transferring here um, right before I tore my ACL, actually. But at the time, I knew the head coach here, Mark Jones. Um, so things really just worked out for me that way. She coached me when I was younger. Um, so there was a better opportunity for me here. And yeah. So you came in Nipissing, and for people who don't know your story, it's very notorious to know that you battled with some injuries. But for those at home, if you can just kind of talk about when you came here, how you how you were able to battle those injuries. Right. So, I mean, I guess I could start at Laurentian even. A lot of people don't know this one, but um, I partially tore my Achilles when I was at Laurentian. Oh, gosh. So that's part of what kept me out for the year. Um, and then after coming here, I was all excited about the new program and stuff. And on my third practice with the team uh, in mid-September, I tore my ACL in practice. Yeah. That was unfortunate. Um, didn't really understand the magnitude of that at the time, to be honest. So I got surgery, rehabbed it for a year, was all excited to come back and play again the following year. Um, and then unfortunately in my first practice back, I retore my ACL with my brace on. I've always heard that. How, did, how does that happen? <laughs> like, yeah. no, when I heard this in another story too, we'll talk about that part later, but like, how does that happen? Yeah. Cause my, because it's funny because I have a, because I've torn my meniscus. Mm-hmm. My, so my, it's funny. So I told a story with my teammates. So basically in a span of three years, actually, I think my brother tore his ACL when he was 13. I think it was partially torn, but he played oh, wow. with a brace through soccer. So he tore his ACL. Wow. My mom tore her ACL. Wow. I tore my meniscus. So for, th- for, for three straight years, the, we, the, we had the same doctor. So when I tore my meniscus at 13, I went to the doctor. The doctor looks at my mom and says, Shirley, your other son too now? It's like, <laughs> I know we have bad knees, Dr. Smith. But um, but so I know not with the 20 cell. Is there wood around here? Like, <laughs> is there wood or something? But basically, I know what it's like with knee injuries. But like, I see my brother had to rehab with 20 cell, my mom rehab. But since I want to know how, what what goes through your mind when you tear it's the first day back. Yeah. What like what happened? Um, honestly, I was it was really really silly too. Like the first one was pretty typical ACL. Like I 
stopped and planted yeah. and and twisted my knee. That's the the second yeah. one, honestly, I think what happened was I did not rehab hard enough. Um, my first time through everything, so it's not that I didn't take it seriously. Just I wasn't really in the athletic therapy room enough, and like didn't understand how strong I had to be to come back and play and be successful. Um, so I was running in transition and I turned to catch a pass and kind of like on the catch, I turned to rip and go and my knee just caved in under me. And of course my immediate mindset was words I probably shouldn't say on here. Um, but I just knew right away that I had redone it. it so <laughs> I know both, both, wait, which knee is the left knee or right knee? My right. <sighs> it happens. I know. So what goes through your mind the, the second time now? Because the first time is, okay, I'm coming back. Yeah. The second time now, it's kind of like the Clay Thompson situation. Clay Thompson towards ACL in the finals against the Raptors, and then he's practicing kind of the same thing you're talking about. And, and we find out the next year during 2020, he's doing the same move we did a thousand times and he finally tears his Achilles. So he's gone for two years. Yeah. So, I mean, Clay Thompson had a shot at Clay Thompson, had a great comeback. So for you, the second time you tore mm-hmm. ACL, what do you think? Are you thinking, should I do this again? Should I keep going? Like, what? What's what is your thought process when you tear it the second time? Yeah, you know what's funny is, um, actually, looking back now, my thought process at the time, and I don't know if I've really shared this, was very much of I knew I wanted to coach eventually. Okay. Um, but I thought to myself like, maybe there will be athletes that are in this position eventually, and so I wanted to prove to myself that I could come back from it a second time. Um, and sort of have that resilience. So I gave myself about 24 hours to be upset and sort of be in denial. And then it was like right into the rehab. And I already knew the protocol at that point. We were fortunate to have Mackenzie Daly on campus who helped me through that entire thing. But I was like gung-ho to get back. And I actually ended up coming back way sooner and way stronger the second time. Okay, nice. Um, also fortunate. So there's, um, for any Ottawa people that are listening to this, um, Kelly Ring is somebody who sort of was a mentor through that process too. So she played uh, at the University of Ottawa and at Ryerson, um, now TMU. And she also played for the junior women's national team. She tore her ACL twice. Um, And she was somebody that I knew growing up. So I reached out to her right away and she sort of helped me through that process. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It was something. Like when I first met you, you told that story. I'm like, I'm just like, (laughs) like it's one thing to tear ACL, like, but like twice, it's like, oh my gosh. You know what though? I saw this thing recently. Maybe you saw me share it on my story, Becky Hammond, and it kind of holds true. She's saying like everything that happened to me that made me think like, why me? Sort of built something in me that I didn't know I would need later on, and that's definitely been the case with it. Yeah. What would What would your advice be now that you've gone through the process? What would your advice be? First of all, how is how are your knees today? How is it today? (laughs) My (laughs) knees are good. Unless I squat really, really heavy, I never even notice uh, anything weird about it. (laughs) I was curious. I just wanted to ask, but um, but back to my original question. Um, I always like to people listen to get some advice for whatever the Mm -hmm. situation. So in this topic, I think it's really important. I I think it's not even about sports, just in general. What's your advice in terms of when a bad situation happens, how to stay positive and how to continue to be resilient? Because I think it's yeah. very easy to to quit. It's very easy to say, like you said, why me? Mm-hmm. Like you said, you went through it. And like I said, it doesn't even have to be from a sports asset, but it could be life in general. Like yeah. what's your advice for overcoming a situation and finding the strength in you to keep, to keep going? Oh, oh, man. I think that, I mean, I guess I can talk about this two ways. One, in a sport context. Um, I mean, we have somebody this year who tore ACL, Kennedy Joyce. Yeah. And the advice I've given to her is sort of to celebrate the small wins. Because if you think of 
the big win, which would be like a year from now playing again, that seems so far away yeah. and so unattainable. But celebrating the little wins, like the first time she could do a full circle on a bike and the first time that she could walk properly without crutches, the first time she can squat, like all of those little milestones are worth celebrating and that sort of keeps you going. Um, and then I guess the other angle, which is more life, would be, and this is perspective I've developed over time, but like, Honestly, things happen for a reason, and it's only in hindsight that you figure it out. So, at least for myself, it's now anytime something happens in life, in basketball, whatever, um, having that ability to just take a breath and understand, like, hey, there are things unfolding that I don't even see right now and I can't recognize right now, but eventually this will make sense. So, I just need to be in the moment and do the best that I can and trust that. Um, yeah. This is part of it. Yeah. And I totally forgot that um, Candy tore ACLs. Yeah. So, but I think that helps like for you because um, because you went through it. Yeah. Right. So a lot of times for players, like it's good to have a coach that can just say, I get it. Yeah. And I think with this one, you literally get it because you went through it twice. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> you went through it yeah. twice. So we also, I mean, we've had some some injuries this year. Faith DeVries shoulder popped out again. Yeah. Um, so there are some long term ones. Um, and I do get it for sure. Yeah. So. Man, I don't, I don't know, but like, but now, nah, like I said, I think it's really good that people can honestly can can hear this side because I, I want right. people to really know, that, especially with sports. Like, there's so people don't understand. Like, especially with sports, like, there's so many ups and downs. Oh like, yeah. Like, where do you where do you begin? Like, you can be up one day, down the next. It's like yeah. like there's just so many ups and downs. But I really appreciate you talking about that because at the end of the day, like, I think the beauty about sports is that you have to put things into perspective. Yeah. And I think with injuries, like, it teaches you. A lot of things about being resilient, like mm -hmm. wanting to wanting to come back. Like you gotta be disciplined because, like you said, like you admitted that the first time you might not rehab enough. So like maybe the discipline came into play. Yeah. I just love basketball from his life aspect. My dad was who was my original coach. Always talked to me about life because it teaches you so much about life. And I really appreciate that you took that aspect and really saw for what it was and really used it to make you a better player and come back and also hopefully a better player and eventually a great coach. So thanks, th Tasha. So thank you for that. Like what you've been hearing so far? Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. Uh, I, want to, I want to switch gears again. and um, So how we got really close a couple years during COVID was you applied for something that I think is super, super, super cool. <laughs> kind of really helped with um, your connection with basketball. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Rachel applied for a cool thing that Toronto Raptors do called the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship. Uh, I think it was 2020 you applied for? Yes. Just before COVID hit? Yeah. Um, that's kind of how we got kind of close. But uh, for those who don't know what it is, talk to me about what the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship was or is and what got you to apply for it? Yeah, so the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship is a one-year um, paid rotational internship with the Toronto Raptors. Basically, if you're selected as a finalist from this application process, um, you have a two or three-day interview process with the Raptors, and then if you were now one of the two people selected, um, which is great by them, by the way, you essentially go and spend a year with the Toronto Raptors. The first six months or so of it will be trying all the different sectors of basketball operations. So you'll intern with equipment, with coaching, with scout and video, uh, with the athletic therapy team, with business relations and so on. And then the second portion of it is generally spent um, specializing in the one area that you decided you wanted to focus on. So it's pretty cool. Um, I ended up applying 
And this was revealing for me. Um, Katie Hamilton, who was the head coach here at the time, because I was an assistant at the time, yeah. sent it to me and said I should apply. And to be honest, I opened the email and then closed it. And like, I was like, I'm not getting like that's ridiculous. Um, what the heck? And, <laughs> and then honestly, like three days before the deadline, I don't know why, but I reopened it and I was looking at it and I was looking at the list of past finalists. And I saw a name I recognized on it, and it was Rose Jolie. That she's now the head coach yeah. of the University of Ottawa. Yeah. And Rose and I were pretty good friends at the time. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> Rose is like around my age yeah. and has pretty similar experience to me. Maybe, maybe I could like do this or something. Yeah. So I actually contacted uh, the marketing department at the school, and they helped me put together a video in like 24 hours, wow. which was insane. Um, and I applied and. I ended up being a finalist, and it was a really great experience. Yeah, and then that, that's kind of how we got close. But talk to yeah. us about that whole process, because you stayed there for two or three days. So, like, even so, once you decide to specialize in coaching, for those who don't know, like, talk, just talking about the whole process, like, what was the first day like? <laughs> um, so, I actually, because of COVID, I didn't get to go in person, which was quite unfortunate. They kept pushing back the interview dates, I think. In oh, yeah, because that 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 you applied just as COVID yeah, hit. It was just at the beginning, sorry. Yeah, we're good. And, um, yeah, but so I ended up doing it all on Zoom. I got fortunate because they actually had all of us down um, last fall, sort of for like a little reunion. So okay. I did get to go hang out at the OVO Center and meet some pretty awesome people. Um, but my whole interview process was on Zoom. And it was honestly, it was two days. It was probably <laughs> two of the most exhausting days of my life. How long were you there though? For like, was it three hours, four hours, five hours? Or how long um, we were on Zoom pretty much all day with oh like little breaks and just the preparation of knowing like it was kind of an NBA interview was wild. Yeah, my um, gosh. Spoiler alert, I did not get the position. But, <laughs> uh, no, it was cool. I We got to do um, a presentation on a topic of our choice. There was a list of like four or five things that we could choose from. I ended up doing a scout on the Orlando Magic. Yeah. Um, and then we had to do a group presentation with a couple of the other finalists. We did it on a marketing campaign for the Toronto Raptors. And then we had a uh, cognitive behavioral interview with the Raptors staff, which was just very intense. Um, but honestly, the biggest thing for me is like, I did feel a little disappointed that it was on Zoom at the time, um, but it was kind of cool. Again, that realization we, we were, on Zoom and there's like Teresa Rush just sitting in her kitchen or yeah. like Mr. Embry getting called by his wife for dinner and things <laughs> like that. And it just made me realize how human all of these people are yeah. and kind of made me realize like, you know, these are really attainable positions and these are just people that worked really hard and were good at what they did. Yeah. Um, so it was a really cool experience. What was the feedback that you got from, I know, I know the thing you said that a lot of people, usually people get feedback from yeah. kind of why they didn't get it, which I think is really key. Because yeah. a lot of times with big jobs, they just say, you didn't get it, thanks for coming next. I think it's really good to give people feedback because you can know, okay, where did I go wrong and what right. can I do to get better? Especially from an organization like the Raptors, like you think, oh man, I don't have time for that. But yeah. the fact that they took time to actually give people feedback, I think was key. So what was, if you don't mind, what was the feedback that you got from your interview process? Yeah, it was actually really awesome. I remember sharing it with a few people. Um, I think it was like the most in-depth feedback I've ever got from an interview. I can share yeah. it with you if you want. Um, I think you did. Yeah, they sent me good. like three pages of notes that they had, which was wild. Um, I can remember specifically from my interview, and this was, I would have been, how old was I at the time? Like 21, maybe? Something like that. Um, so I got told that I should share some more specific examples when kind of talking about things. And I used to have a habit of, maybe I still do, um, talking around ideas instead of like yeah. really picking out specific yeah. instances. So that was helpful. And then in terms of coaching um, with the scout on the Orlando Magic, 
they really complimented the scout overall, my work on the individual tendencies and the video that accompanied it, um, but said that we would benefit from adding some stats into the report. So at the time I just talked about tendencies and I didn't really add in numbers and I didn't understand kind of the weight that having numbers can carry. So instead of saying somebody's a great rebounder, saying that they average 12 rebounds per game goes a long way. So that's actually helped me a lot in my role now. Um, I mean, you can ask the girls are, Scouting reports are filled with numbers and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think I think that's really cool. So, yeah. for anyone that's ever looking to, I think the, for those who don't know, I think the beauty about the the whole process that you don't really have to be around a, a sports background. I've seen people yeah. win it that don't really have a sports background. They just yeah. kind of want to switch careers. So, for anyone listening right now who don't think they could ever work in the NBA or stuff like that, what's your advice for people going to this process um, if they want to go for it? Like, like me, I told you I'm going for it. When I graduated, yes, I already applied for 2021, didn't get it, didn't know you had to be a graduate. But, <laughs> but hey, but yeah. I got a phone call, so at least I know I could have been yes. there. But ultimately, what is your advice for people like myself who eventually want to up reapply for that opportunity and kind of just have the guts to say, why not just go for it? Yeah, well, you know what? My perspective on the fellowship has changed um, over the years, I think. And I've been fortunate to stay connected with a lot of people that I met through that process. And I think the consensus we've come up with is that the Raptors are looking for somebody that yes, is there to learn and develop, but also could contribute right away. So the big thing is that organization is very progressive and they're always looking for like the next really awesome idea or thing or skill set that somebody has. So not trying to just be a, a jack of all trades or be like, don't go and try to be the next Brittany Donaldson or Nick Nurse or like Bobby Webster, like go in and be like, hey, this is what's really different that I bring. So I actually got connected. Um, John Bennett has been really, really great. He reached out afterwards to a number of the finalists and we've stayed connected. Um, Who was John Bennett? John Bennett was an assistant coach in the year that they won. Um, An assistant coach for the 905 as well. Um, He now coaches at McMaster. So shout out to McMaster. Um, But John was really, really interested in something I only just touched on in my interview, which was the research that I've done with transformational leadership um and that's something that we did in mark bruner's lab where we recorded coaches during practices and games and then literally coded their behavior the entire time wow. um sort of how you would code something on like synergy yeah and that's something that like the raptors had never heard of before and they were really interested in but i didn't talk about it much because i didn't think that it was important they would right? like it yeah. yeah and so that was sort of he said to me an angle that i could have taken that would be really really different and yeah. really interesting to them so i think just finding something that makes you a little different um that you could bring and add to the organization rather than just trying to be exactly what they already are would be important i think that's really cool i think is especially for me who's someone's in business they always it's funny at the time of this recording, i just had a presentation yesterday for my business class but one thing i've learned since i've done business even from high school is that something called usp so for those who know usp stands for unique selling point mm. like what differentiates you from your competitors what yeah. makes you stand out and i really like that you talked about that because a lot of times especially in an interview like that you're thinking to yourself okay focus on what they care about and then yeah. move on you don't think something that like that would be like mm, i don't think they really care about that yeah. but then you don't realize that oh that actually could have been the thing that separates me from everyone totally. else. Totally. So, yeah. so even like that, like how do you, and maybe maybe you still don't know the answer, but it's worth asking. What do you? How do you think for people that are even going through interview process in general, even something like this, like how do you think people can find things about them or find things in their repertoire that they can use to kind of separate themselves from other people? It's kind of like in, in sports, like when you're trying to have a role in the team, a lot of times yeah. people are able to separate themselves because they do something different. Yeah. So what? How do you think people can go through a process where people can really see 
what they have that can separate themselves from other people. Right. Well, I, I think that what's really important is self-awareness. Like, I mean, I think of the stuff that you've done, Tejan. Yeah. You've literally created new things um, on campus, off campus, like in the community. And I think that those would be really, really important things to highlight and talk about in any yeah. interview process, of course, and not just trying to be the same as everybody else. Um, something that we talk about, it's kind of related on our team a lot, is... Now we have a quote of the day every day. And mm-hmm. recently it was about um, basically not focusing so much on improving your weaknesses, get them to a point that they don't impede your progress, but really, really focus on actually becoming great at the things that you're already good at. Yeah. Um, so I think just the self-awareness to know what makes you different, what your USP is, I guess. Um, and then trying to tie as many responses in like an interview back to that as you can. Um, then the other piece too is like, sometimes I think when people do new things or have... I guess USPs are like, oh, nobody would be interested in that. Or like, maybe they already know about that. And like, nobody knows everything. Yeah. So often like you are the expert in the stuff that you've been studying or that you've been working on and other people are excited to learn about that. So just the confidence to know that, you know, the things that make you unique probably are really cool to other people. Yeah. I think, I think that's really good too. Um, but I really wanted to touch on that. Like I said, a lot of times people, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's a confidence thing too. Like yeah. people think like, I don't know if they're going to pick me or I don't know if I, what I do is like very viable. So I'm really, really want to touch on that from the conversations because I think it's important that people can see that you can bring a lot to the table. It's just how you present yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I think too, that also comes with experience too, because the more, a lot of times people know what to talk about, but they're not confident to be able to express it and say an interview like this. Right. So I think as people kind of grow and I think it's even with universities, I think as people grow into who they are, mm-hmm. people get more comfortable in saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. Because sometimes people think, Oh, this person's cocky because they're saying this, that this, but it's not really cocky. It's just that you're kind of sure who you are. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, and I think out of, as you get older, I think you kind of have to respect that because a lot of people, some people don't have that. Yeah. So, very true. so I definitely wanted to say thank you for giving those tidbits. Of I, always, I always like to give people tidbits. It's not just a sports <laughs> podcast, but we also talk about other stuff. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, but we are going to wrap it up with sports. So like okay. I said, so this is, this has been a fun interview. I've really appreciate it. It's been good. You've been said some things that I never knew. So I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of resembling all the smoke, you know, shout out to all the smoke. A lot of times, <laughs> every time they come on, they say there's something that no one's ever told us said on the podcast. This is so, an exclusive. Yeah. So. so this is good. But, um, first half of the season is done. We get a now six week break going into, um, the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, second half of the season is coming underway. What are your hopes for your team in the second half of the season? Or even, maybe even Percy as a coach, like what are you hoping to improve on that can hopefully lead you guys to be better than you were this past semester? Yes. Um, I mean, I would say, when I came in on day one, I told the whole team, like, I love defense and I love rebounding. And basically, if you don't do those things, you're not going to play. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think that we've done a really good job of finding our identity defensively and figuring out how to use our defense to hold us in games until the fourth quarter to sort of give us a chance to win. Um, a big part of over the next sort of three weeks and then into the new year, I think we'll be actually shifting our focus to offense a bit now though, finding ways to really use our personnel well um, to exploit mismatches and find ways to score more on the floor and score faster. Um, So that I think is sort of the turn that we need to take, really happy with the work ethic, the intensity, all that kind of stuff, um, sort of the non-teachable things. So, but yeah, just cranking the intensity up, figuring out our offense and honestly trying to make a push for playoffs at this point. I'm, I'm excited for you girls. Like you like said, the last couple of weeks, you girls have played really, really well. Even even if the couple of games you guys lost, you guys really competed. So I've definitely seen the growth from when you guys first started on Quebec in preseason until now. So Thanks definitely got to contribute um, 
how much how well you guys played to you for sure. Second semester is also big because obviously just like how you asked shoot for the cure this past December, shoot for change is back. Yes. We're doing it again this year, February fourth. Looking at the camera, February fourth, eight p.m. It's a super Saturday, so we have men's volleyball team playing and men's basketball team playing all night throughout the RGS Center. Um, a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people don't know this. Rachel, when she was gone, was actually a big part of helping me plan shoot for change because I had to use her expertise <laughs> from shoot for the cure. That's kind of how we got connected to help me plan for Shoe for Chain when it was COVID. So this is before we came back for the 21-22. This is when it was still my second year. This is when I first started new base. Like, people don't know how much, how big you were in helping me plan. Don't give me game. too much credit. To no, but for, no, but anything. seriously, because how many times, even when you're at Carlton, how many times they say, hey, Rich, I need, I need help with something. Can I, can I talk to you? Well, you were always fun to talk to. So yeah, but, <laughs> nah, but for real, though, like, a lot of people don't know that. But um, now that you're actually here, and I was so happy when you came back, how excited are you to be part of the game this I year? I am so excited. Are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> we talked. Because remember, you were at Carlton when when we first talked about. It, yeah. But now you actually get to do it. Yes. And be a part of it and all this stuff and see it live. Like, how excited are you to be a part of that? I'm pumped. I mean, I've seen all the video content and stuff, but I've never gotten to be a part of it. So, um, no, I'm I'm really really excited. I think that like everything with the Warren Lindsay anniversary and everything that you've created here has been incredible. So I'm just so excited to see it live and see what you've built. Um, be part of it. I mean, it's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. We got some special stuff for the game this year. I'm not going to give it away. You're going to have to come to the game. Like I said, February 4th, girls play six, men's play eight to find out. I'm not going to spoil it, but just know we got some good stuff coming. <laughs> <laughs> but Rachel, man, this has been such a fun interview. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for not giving up on me since you've been asking me to do this. Since <laughs> hey, we got it. But um, <laughs> no, nah, but like I said, for all those listening to the podcast right now, it's exam season. I want to wish you guys the best of luck. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Rachel, like I said, thank you for coming on. Thank you. So that's another episode of Lakers Locker Room. Back in person. Got to love the energy. Got to thank Coach Rachel Van Wilsk. I like seeing Coach Friend Rachel now. You can catch the video version of the interview on YouTube and listen to the full interview on all podcasting platforms. Thanks, Rachel.